Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. radio show of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, and I'm joined by co-host Gina Kuhl. And today, uh, we are joined by, I'm very excited to say, our guest. He's known by us as Minty Biscuit, but his name is actually Eric, and I never caught his last name. So I'll let you introduce yourself, Eric. Hey, everybody. How's it going? My name is Eric Green. I'm a, a journalism student here at Western in the MA program, and uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming and joining us today. And we at GradCast are all super excited to have you because none of us are journalism students. None of us know as much about journalism. Well, the pressure's on then. And yeah, you're basically, you know, our, our teacher here. So um, I guess before we say anything else, uh, what can you tell us about the world of journa- journalism generally? Well, I mean, it's just a little aside at the beginning. It's kind of funny because what I've been told we're going to talk about is a little bit of ethics making stuff up. So now that you guys have told me you don't know anything about this, I can make up whatever the hell I want. So that's going to be great. Um, basically, in general, from what we've been doing, we're in our third semester now of a one-year accelerated master's program. So it went right from May of last year all the way through until April of this year. And it's basically just a crash course in all the basic tenets of journalism. So we study uh, radio, which is good television and print. And then at the same time, we take electives such as ethics, law, um, just trying to think what else we're doing, new media, stuff like Twitter, uh, Instagram, how to use that to get your name out there, and, uh, and basically stuff like that. So yeah, what, uh, that's about it. So like, uh, what kind of degree do you need to have to get into such a program? You know what? You can have pretty much anything. As long as you have a BA in something and you can show that you can write a little bit, like our applications involved sending in articles that we'd worked on or maybe even like a little paper or something like that, just to show that you have kind of the basic skills to get around it. And from there, just based on your marks and your ability to write, they kind of uh, weigh it out and they take 40 students max every year. This year they took 26, I believe. Well, so that's pretty competitive. Um, Was there any kind of internship experience that they hoped you already had or anything like that? Or was it just... Um, you know, sent in the application, and it was purely based on what, I guess, what you had written. Um, Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, it's mostly just anything that you have, really, but there is no serious requirements for having worked in the journalism field before or interned anywhere, because an internship is actually part of the program. We actually all just got back from all of January, um, all of January doing an internship all over the place. So, yeah. So there was nothing, nothing at the beginning, but now it's... Well, that's exciting. So where did you do your internship? I guess what was yours? Mine was actually just at Western News on campus. So working with um, Jason Winders, who's the editor-in-chief there, and a couple reporters that they have over there, and just covering stuff that takes place on campus. So a lot to do with people's research and anything that really ties into the Western experience. So, I mean, it's a small market, but very interesting at times. So, Well, that's a little bit like what we do here, so that's really exciting. Um, yeah, everyone, it's just a little bit crowded here. Um, we're all sharing one microphone today because technical problems in the booth. Um, <laughs> so I guess what, one thing that I wanted to ask you, since you just did an internship and you're also kind of coming up to a year in a, in a program, what was the one thing that you took away from your internship that you didn't learn in any coursework before? Because they're very different things. Uh, hmm. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, like I said, the, the Western news experience was, was a lot of fun, worked with some really good people, but I think the one 
big thing that I took away from it, and I wouldn't say that I didn't learn this in any of the classes, but that really hit home while I was actually out there working, is just the ebb and flow of kind of the news cycle. And especially in a market like this, where you're just covering the, the campus community. So, you know, there'd be days where we would be go, go, go all day long, even working late, stuff like that. And there'd be other days where you're basically not doing all that much of anything. I don't want to really say that, but it's true. I mean, you'd come in, work on a few articles that you already have on the back burner, but at the same time, you're not going anywhere that day. So, you know, you just show up in jeans and a t-shirt and sit down and do your work. So, I mean, at times it can be crazy stressful and uh, at other times it can just be almost too slow. So I think that's the big thing that I took away from it, that you really just need to be able to handle that kind of stuff and, and know that every day isn't going to be the same. So what would a typical stressful day be like? <laughs> oh, let's see. Um, <laughs> well, a typical isn't really the word for it, but I guess one of the more stressful days I had was, you know, okay, so we started at 9.30 every day. So get in for 9, 9.30, go over kind of what I have to do for the day, a little itinerary, and then basically get stuff laid out and then leave the office to go do a bunch of interviews and do that, you know, pretty much up until lunch, come back, eat at your desk, write stuff out for the rest of the day. And then I actually had this one article I was working on about um, uh, a girl on campus whose PhD research is in World War II evacuees from Britain that were sent over to Canada and the United States. Who's coming on the show, by the way? Claire Halstead? Claire Halstead, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that'll be awesome. It'll be a great episode. Um, So, yeah, I, I interviewed her, and then she actually set me up with a woman named Anne who was one of these evacuees. So I had to drive up... um, about 40 minutes out of town to where she lives, sit down with her for a couple hours, and I didn't wind up getting home until about 9, 30, 10 o'clock that night. So, you know, all in all, as much as it, it, it was a stressful day, it's also very rewarding because this was a story that I actually kind of pitched myself because it was already covered, the research anyways, had already been done in another article, and I just thought that it would be a cool follow-up to actually talk to one of these people. So, yeah, I mean, it can be stressful, but at the same time, it's rewarding in as much as you get to really hear the stories that you want to hear and then take away from them and, and kind of share them with everybody else. So that was my actually favorite day on the internship, but it also was the longest and probably the most stressful of all of them. So, All right. So um, one of the things that journalism is infamous for, I did take a couple journalism classes and they try to simulate this in a weird way, but I'm sure it's nothing close to the real thing, is you have these horrible, punishing deadlines that are that really um, – <clears throat> they really define the field. You know, you have to really learn to love the deadline. Can you explain, like, how that all works? And um, I can try to. Uh, I don't think that I'll ever love the deadline, to be honest with you. Um, there is a rush to it. I'll give you that. I mean, when you have something and you got to turn it around in a day, so you got to get your interviews done and write it or shoot it or record it and get it in by 5, 6 o'clock that night so it can go to air, it's, it's really... Really hard to explain, but it's almost like you don't stop moving for eight hours. And then you finally get it done, and it'll be like ten minutes to deadline, and you file it. And then all of a sudden, you think, okay, I am starving. I am dying of thirst, and I have to go to the bathroom really bad. And I didn't notice any of that for the last eight hours. So it's almost like your brain just kind of takes over, and it's go, 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 go. And then it's all over. And it's this weird high that you kind of float around in for like half an hour, and then you eventually kind of level out again. But... um So, I mean, there is a little bit of that to it, and I think that's why a lot of people that are in this profession that are, say, like overseas correspondents, they'll get hooked on it, right, and they'll just keep going back because it's even more so over there doing stuff like that or being in a war zone, right? It's going to be multiplied. I was always curious uh, about those correspondents because, like, 
You know, if you are CBC's Albania correspondent, I can't imagine you get called on all the time. So I'm wondering what like you do when you're not getting the spotlight and things like that. No, it's actually a really good question. And I mean, I think a lot of people that, that get into the program really hold that as what they kind of want to do. It's almost like uh, I had a buddy who was in the Army for a long time, and he said that uh, most people that go to an Army recruiter, when they ask them what they want to do, they say, I want to be a sniper. You know what I mean? That's like the first thing they want to do, whereas that's one of the hardest things you can ever really work up to in the military. So that's almost like being a foreign correspondent in journalism. A lot of people really want to do it, but at the same time, it takes a long time to build your career up to where you can get that opportunity, unless by some fluke of luck you get it right off the bat. So to be honest with you, I I honestly don't know what they do. We've met a few really cool correspondents that have come in and shared their experiences with us, but mostly they're just talking about like the big stuff that they've done and not so much what they're doing when no one's watching. So it is a lot like being a sniper in that it's desirable, but also in that you spend a majority of the time waiting for the one opportunity to do the one thing you're supposed to do. (laughs) In a way, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that I almost feel like they're not correspondence specifically for one area they kind of get flown all over the place so they they might be working all the time in different places that maybe they're not specifically experts in right so just to utilize the people especially because the industry going the way it is they've been laying people off like crazy these last couple years right Mm -hmm. so yeah you kind of have to diversify your skill set in as much as you can't focus on the one area you want to do like one thing that they've told us about is uh there used to be in newsrooms there would be like an actual medical journalist or a scientific journalist where they would write about specifically medical and science stuff nowadays that just gets handed out to regular everyday reporters that don't have a specialization in that kind of knowledge and they just send them out to cover it because they can't afford to keep these people on staff it shows yeah Yeah, it really really does I, i read an article last summer that i was just really frustrated with and i think they'd said that something like ATP causes neurodegeneration or something. And that's, you know, from a scientist's perspective, like the worst thing you could say almost because ATP is basically the basic energy molecule that you have in your every cell of your body. So that's just wrong. But I read it and I just thought, oh, God, someone didn't know what they were talking about. Um, so how did you decide uh, to get into journalism? And I guess what, where, what is your aspiration from this program? Well, you know, it's, it's flip-flopped a few times since I've been here. I, I find that going through these classes and doing these courses has really taught me what I don't want to do, but it's also really emphasized maybe what I do want to do eventually. But I'll, I'll start with the first question. I did my BA in history at the University of Guelph, and then after that, I'd originally intended to teach, but I left, and I found that the job market for that was just really bad, and I didn't want to do another year of teacher's college, so I just went and worked construction for a year. And then after a year of doing that, I decided, okay, you know what, I've invested this much money in school, let's go back and figure something out so I can at least get money out of it. So I went back to Guelph, and I did a bunch of just random courses. I took a bunch of random English courses, science courses, geography, whatever I could take for a year. And while I was there, a friend of mine was the editor of the sports section of the the Guelph school paper, and he just asked me to come start writing for him. And I just kind of fell in love with it doing that. I mean, the one thing that I got to do that was really cool was we had a TEDx um, event there, and I got to go for free. After it had been booked out for weeks, they were just like, oh, yeah, just go. You'll be fine. Just tell me with us, and you can get in. And I just walked right in. No one tried to stop me, and it was like, okay, this is, this is kind of cool. I can do this, right? So I did that, and then I talked to a professor of mine who told me that Western had a really good journalism program, wrote me a letter, and just said, you know what, apply for it. And so I did that, miraculously got in, and, uh, yeah, that was kind of it. So from there, you know, I just didn't have any money because I would blown all my savings from that year working. So I had to go take a bank loan out and come here, and it's just kind of been – a blur ever since, but it's, um, it's definitely still what I want to do, but I've definitely learned what I don't want to do. 
at the same time. I think ideally I would like to get into entertainment at this point because, again, going back to the whole free ticket thing, I love music. I love all kinds of music. And I think that if I could get paid to go to concerts and just talk to musicians for the rest of my life, I'd be okay with it. So that's where we're heading from here. But these things change. How about, like, medium? Are you, like, merged in, like, I don't know, radio or print or new, whatever that means? Um, <laughs> no, you know what? The new media thing I've actually had to get used to really quickly because I was always very much against it before I came here. I didn't have Twitter. I didn't have any of that. So I had Facebook, and that's about it. And I even used that minimally. But when we got here, basically on the, one of the first days, they're like, okay, you need to start a blog because we're going to monitor that. You need to get a Twitter account and tell us what it is because we're going to monitor that. And so it all plays into the marks. And so I used to be the first person when we would go out with my friends and go to the bar, right? And everyone's sitting there on their phone around the bar. And you're just like, okay, guys, there's real people here. What are you doing? Now I'm the worst one. We go out, oh, and I just sit there with my face buried in my phone the entire time. So I'm trying to not do that at the same time. But the medium that I like the most is radio, to be honest with you. I was flirting with TV for a long time. But then, you know, you got to look presentable. They'd make me shave. And I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's really what I want to do. And the other thing, and I don't want to slander it too much, but with TV news is that you really have to simplify the story. I don't want to say dumb it down, but simplify it to get it across in a minute and a half, right? And that's just not for me. I don't know. I always found it really hard. And they would always dock marks on my assignments because I would be speaking the entire minute and 30, trying to get as much in as I could. And so you wouldn't absorb anything. You just sit there and it'd just be this blur. So radio right now is kind of what I'm really into. So this is fun. Not going to lie. So it's really interesting to hear uh, you say that you didn't really use Facebook much and you didn't have Twitter. Because like three weeks ago, I didn't have Twitter either, and I, I got Twitter and Gina as well because we're trying to make GradCast better, and we're trying to use social media to increase our own presence. And so we got Twitter now. I have, like, eight followers. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we're working on, on that. So tell us about, about that because you did mention that you had to take courses specifically on digital media and, and how that all works. Um, so we're working on that right now. So are there any tips you could give us? Um, and I guess anybody else out there in the world and stuff that you've learned about sort of the push toward digital media? Well, I guess the one thing that I can really say is that if you want to increase your, like, Twitter following or people who are going to look at your blog or something like that, if that's really what you want to do, you almost have to marry every single kind of social media together just to promote yourself. Like, you have to be putting out tweets five times a day that's what they've told us you know like generally send out five a day and i just retweet stuff all the time i don't ever write my own but um blogging you have to like advertise your blog in your tweets and then you have to you know link pictures to it maybe use instagram to do that so they really all kind of play off of each other as different platforms of the same overall tool and it can get really confusing sometimes to be honest we're trying to keep up with all this stuff while doing the rest of your work all day so if I was going to have any tip, I'd say just don't do it. But we can't do that anymore because it's the social media age. So just got to stick with it. Um, I don't know. The most, like, I have gotten most of my followers on Twitter, and I have 74 of them. And I thought that was a benchmark until I, like, see other people that have thousands. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm happy with it. But I, I've gotten most of them by retweeting other people's stuff. And someone will see it and be like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then they'll follow me thinking that it's mine when it's not. So I kind of just dupe people into doing it, to be honest with you. So, yeah, just be sleazy. Just get out there and <laughs> rope people in. It's the best advice I can give you. Yeah, something's changed in, like, the media landscape of the Internet these days where it's gone from being websites and channels and now it's almost as if all the time you're a person and now you can be a person who blogs you can have like all these things but now like really what you have to sell <coughs> is this entire cult of personality around yourself which 
can be really weird, especially if you're a journalist who's really not supposed to be drawing attention to themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, okay, and we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, right, with gonzo journalism. Okay, yeah, stick yourself in the story. That's the whole style. But unless you are an amazing writer and you can really sell these stories by putting yourself into it, I just don't really see a place for that. It almost strikes me as arrogant. So you're right, though. It's, it's not, not the most – it doesn't make the most sense that we, we're doing this, but we are at this point. We, and, again, honestly, I think it's just because a lot of people in the industry don't know how to bounce back from – the shift to the internet like print media is failing um it's kind of going downhill right now they're trying to find ways to bring it back but at this point they're just scrambling to do whatever they can it seems to stay afloat and to stay relevant and try and get people reading and keep them there so it also doesn't work for people who are at all private if you don't want people to know what you're doing like you can't really make it as much or as easily these days because you have to sell yourself to people. That's basically what you're doing. You're selling you. You want to know my opinion is basically what I'm trying to tell people. But, yeah, you're not wrong there. So in, in terms of journalism itself, should it all should it necessarily be about an opinion or should it more be about what happened? And as a journalist, shouldn't you be kind of a mediator of the facts rather than the opinion? Like, it kind of bothers me when I see, like, when I watch the news or when I listen to uh, – I guess even a YouTube channel, uh, you know, where someone's talking about something and then their opinion comes up and it's just too heated, too much of their, of what they think rather than what happened. And I don't know all the facts. Uh, and it really bothers me kind of deeply. And I go on rants a lot of the time and now here's my opinion. Uh, but, but, uh, it, you know, as in journalism, have they ta- have they spoken about that at all? Uh, or is it, you know, just okay to have your opinion be sort of the point of the story? As far as hardline, like actual factual journalism goes, it's not. You're not supposed to put your opinion in it at all. You're supposed to find people that can speak to the issue, frame the issue for the people, like for the story, and then get these people to answer the questions that you think the public should know. And that goes all the way back to, you know, Gutenberg and the press with, you know, having a well-informed electorate. But a lot of people these days seem to be not necessarily forgetting that, but again, just circumventing it for ratings and for for followers on Twitter and for stuff like that. So it, it bugs me too because it's one of those things that, and a lot of people in this program, which I find really nice, refreshing in a way, but also sometimes it can be a bad thing, is that they're really idealistic about the the art of journalism and how it should just be, you know, it shouldn't be shameless self-promotion. You shouldn't be putting yourself into this story. You should just be telling people things that are going to impact their lives so that they can make decisions based on having this information. But The way it's going, it does seem like you see more and more people putting themselves into the story to be a part of it and to get their name out there, again, to try and build this following to make themselves relevant in the media. So um, I don't know how we would get around it, but I I can't agree with you in the fact that I do find it worrisome. Yeah. Uh, What's like your – what's the most interesting story that you have worked on or worked with somebody on so far? Ooh, that's a good question. Locally, like because a lot of the stories that we do – um, like right now we've broken off into specializations, right? So I'm in radio and uh, we have a group of, te- of eight students and we're going to be doing, um, live current affairs shows broadcast from CHRW over the next couple weeks for the rest of the semester. But the stories we work on with that are all local. So, I mean, there's some really interesting stuff happening in London, but at the same time, because we've been mining the community for the last, you know, nine months for stories for our work, it's almost like we've done everything. 
Whereas when we were working in TV, we would cover everything. We would do like a half an hour TV broadcast. It wouldn't go anywhere. We'd just do it for class. But we would spend the whole day monitoring the wires and on the internet and trying to find stuff from all over the place. And then you break it down into international block, national, local, and all the way down. So, I mean, we, we covered a lot of interesting stuff with, you know, ISIS at the beginning of that whole kerfuffle. And, uh, but that's not really news because everybody was picking that up. Um, there have been a few interesting stories from around London. One of them I found that I, I did back in the very first semester in the summer was the, when they started handing out – they started the needle exchange downtown London for people who need – who are addicted to drugs and they would rather them have you know, clean supplies rather than you know, score stuff off the street. So they've been doing this with needles for years, but they were moving it into like pipes and stuff like that for people who use crack meth and other things like that. So I went down and I interviewed a couple of people that were involved with that. And you, know, you just uh, – while I was there – you know, you see people coming into the building to to use this. So you really get to observe just a very interesting microcosm of society doing stuff like that. But, you know, as far as interesting stories go, not to slander it, but there haven't been anything, like, completely mind-blowing since I've been here. Mm-hmm. But there have been some really cool ones, but nothing that actually sticks in my head, to be honest with you. So just because you say that, um, what do you do when you feel like there's no more stories to tell? Um... Get depressed for a little bit, uh, not going to lie. And then, you know what, you just go back and you take another look at everything. And uh, there's always something there. There's always another angle on something that you can take. You can always mine a story for another another story, you know what I mean? Sometimes they can be a little redundant. But usually, I mean, and if you have been taught well, which the people in my class have, you know, looking at what the work they were doing in the summer as to what they're doing now, it's mind-blowing how far everybody's come. So there's never not going to be a story to tell. There's just – you just have to be able to find it. So, yeah, there, there are days when you almost sit there and you're just like, why am I even still here? Because there's nothing new happening. But there, there's always something. You go out, you talk to people. Like you just approach people. That's one of the things we've had to do sometimes. You just walk up to somebody. We actually had an assignment that was essentially just do that. Go find some random person and find out, uh, like, a monumental moment in their life and then write me a story about it. So, yeah, you got to do that. You got to get on Twitter. You got to go on Facebook. You got to just, like, ride the bus and – you hear someone say something and you jump across the aisle and ask them what they're talking about. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of interesting uh, <coughs> encounters you have with people trying to find stories. But, but yeah, you can feel hopeless for a couple hours, but after that you kind of snap out of it and you realize that there's something we can talk about. We just got to find it. So. Yeah, this is why sometimes you'll have a full news day talking about why the president's wearing a tan suit as opposed <laughs> to a blue one. Yeah, well, exactly. True exactly. story. That actually happened about a week ago. I'm not even surprised. And that's why when, you know, this latest thing with Kanye, I don't even want to talk about it because everybody's talking about it. But that was a field day for people. They were like, thank God he did something. And now we can talk about it. If nothing else happens, at least we have this. So. Send up the Kanye detail. Um, <laughs> so we have one more question, uh, since we are getting into like the last five minutes of the show here. Um, one of the major events this week has to do with journalism, where the newsmaker becomes the news in a very unfortunate way. <laughs> So NBC newscaster Brian Williams uh, recently got called out on some of the stories he told about his time as an embedded journalist in the Iraq war, specifically how he told a story about how he was either in or near a helicopter that um, was hit by a missile and crash landed. And over the times he told the story, he started in the helicopter and has been moving further and further away. And this whole story has really come out to be complete bunk. And it's now throwing into some of his own um, personal Brian Williams hero moments that he's been telling over the course of his career. And it's really caused a lot of controversy over 
you know, ethics in journalism, especially when it comes to like uh, this kind of personality driven news. How would you weigh in on what's going on with that? Well, again, I mean, it's like we've been saying, it's you're towing a really dangerous line, especially when you're an embedded journalist, because, yeah, you're there, right? And you're over there and you've been there the whole time. And you see some pretty horrific things, I would imagine. And and even if your intentions are good, like I want to get this story out from, you know, saying I was an hour behind this plane that, or this helicopter that got shot down and then I flew over and I saw what happened doesn't really make for the most compelling news. So I almost feel like... I, I, the guy screwed up, obviously. You know, it's one of the things that you're basically told on the first day, don't do. Like, do not lie, because it will come out eventually, especially if you're telling a story about something that a bunch of people were there for, that witnessed. So it's going to come out, and your career is going to be screwed. Because when you lose the public trust, then you have nothing to go on anymore. But at the same time, I don't know, I almost sympathize with the guy. Because maybe he did have good intentions. Maybe he was trying to get something out that he thought was important, and he thought that by saying that he was actually there, it was going to be more impactful, and he could get it further. But at the same time, it could be completely self-serving. Maybe he just wanted to tell a really cool story, and there's no place for that. You know, that's, that's basically breaking journalism ethics 101 is lying to anybody. So I don't know. I can't really see him bouncing back from that. If this proves to be completely fabricated, then, then if he does still have a job, then somebody else screwed up because, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think that we should let people get away with that. So this guy's a really, like, he's a really serious journalist. Like, he's one of the big, he's one of the, the celebrity journalists. So what do you think would motivate him to do such a thing? Uh, when you keep, you know, someone in my position, you know, I'm just starting out. I'm not even really a journalist yet. I'm still just a student. So to me, there's almost no risk to do that. But I still wouldn't do it because no one's going to believe me. You know what I mean? I'm a student at Western University. If I write a story about myself in Iraq... No one's going to believe that, right? But whereas this guy has that kind of authoritative power, people do buy into what he says because he's been doing it for so long. And so maybe it's just trying to stay relevant, trying to stay on top, trying to keep going. Because once you're already up there, you've achieved that level of authority and power, you got to keep it going somehow. So that's the only thing I can think of, to be honest with you. Other than that, or he just really likes to, uh, to embellish stories. And, and I, but I can't see that. I can't. And, the other thing is this is going to cast dispersions on every story this guy has ever told. Like we were talking earlier, the one in, in New Orleans after Katrina, right? People are already starting to doubt that. And that's going to go all the way back because once you've done it once, who's to say you haven't been doing it the whole time? So, and odds are, like, I hate to keep going, but odds are if he did do it this time, he probably has done it before. And that's just my opinion. But I don't think that it makes rational sense to get to where he is and then decide, you know what? Today's the day I'm going to make something up just, you know, for the heck of it. So... Alrighty, Eric. Thank you so much for coming hey, on. No problem. Thanks for having me. We'll see you again. That's all for this week. If you want to send us some feedback, or if you want to come on the show yourself, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Be sure to hook us up on social media. On Twitter, we're at gradcastradio, and look up Gradcast Radio also on Facebook. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, the podcast is located at gradcast.podbean.com, and it's on iTunes. And while you're there, why don't you leave us a review? It really helps us out. We'll see you guys next week.